Welcome to the 7 Seconds or Less Podcast. This is a podcast about the NBA with the Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host David Nash. David, it's just us today. Just us today, Max, and uh, it was very enjoyable to have both Callan and Cole on the last couple of episodes, and we do hope to have some more guests in the future, but uh, for this one, the listeners are stuck with us. Yeah, we're lacking the wisdom that Cole and Kellen bring this time. Uh, They were everything we could have hoped for and more, but hopefully we can be pretty decent too, because today we're going to be doing something that requires some wisdom, I would say. It's going to be a a mock draft, but it's not the kind of mock draft you're used to. We're going to put together the draft class from the last four drafts. So that's 2015, the Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Asperzingis draft through 2018, which is the DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic draft. Obviously, David, this is going to be pretty fun. So we're uh, not just redrafting the 2018 class like some others have very recently, Max. <laughs> I got kind of in trouble for, for pointing that out, so I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to do that. That's going to be fun. It's going to be tough, but uh, it's going to be a good exercise. But before we get into that, we're actually going to... There's a, there's a little bit of news. There's nothing earth-shattering that happened, but there's some Suns news. Uh, we, we have a couple stories here we want to get into, probably rapid-fire style, so... I'll just get right into it, David. What do you think of the Alec Peters signing in Russia? It was a very interesting one. Uh, I'm very happy for Alec. It'd uh, be good for him to, to get some minutes uh, in, a, in a pretty competitive league. And um, I guess the main takeaway, though, means that the Suns have that open two-way spot, which... Uh, he's a bit of a watch this space. Not sure what's going to happen with that just yet. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. Someone asked me on Twitter the other day if I had any idea, and I, I answered with no, because I don't have any idea what they're thinking with that. Yeah, I think we're, we will all just be guessing at the moment. But uh, what did you think of Trevor Ariza taking Jared Dudley's number very, very quickly, Max? My only take on this is that the Suns Twitter account, when they tweeted a Threza after that happened, I, just, I really hope they don't say that at games. I can't handle that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I, I. I may need to unfollow if that is tweeted every time Ariza hits a three this year. If Al McCoy starts saying it, I might cry. So, what do you think <laughs> about uh, what do you think about Darrell Arthur? Why is he not bought out yet? Uh, I touched on this during the week. I think that he's a trade chip, Max. Um, I think as long as he's not pushing for a buyout, the Suns can hold him on the roster for for summer. They can hold more than fifteen players for a while. So. Uh, you know, he's like seven and a half million dollars. So that's a that's an interesting salary that can be added to potential trades. I'm not going to say anything is imminent, but, you know, we might see something with Darrell and, you know, maybe somebody else being attached uh, this offseason to, to pick up another ready-made player, I think. But speaking of ready-made players, Max, Len to the Hawks. Was that kind of, we kind of touched on that last episode and uh, Atlanta didn't come up, but uh, what do you think of the fit? I'm not really sure what you what you mean by calling him a ready-made player. Like I don't know if that's good or bad. 
<laughs> but uh, Alex Lynn, listen, he's he's fine. I think he serves a role. He, he rebounded pretty well last year. He can play okay defense. He has stone hands from hell, so you're never going to be good with him on the court. You're just not. But, you know, whatever. Atlanta's not going to be good. They have kind of a weird team. It's a fine look. I, I, I don't have a huge, strong opinion on it. I thought it was a little bit, a little bit of an okay, but not, not a big deal. But uh, let's talk about DeAndre Ayton's birthday. Do you, have any, do you have any special words for DeAndre Ayton? Happy birthday, big fella. Surely that's the, the only thing that really needs to be said. But turning 20 makes me feel incredibly old. Uh, but it also makes you realize just how young this Suns team is. So, yeah, happy birthday to, to DeAndre. And do you have any further wishes for the big fella? No, you just depressed me by making me realize that we're both a decade older than DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> what sad. did you think of uh, House signing with the Warriors? That kind of came out of left field a little bit. It did. Daniel House just randomly tweeted on Twitter, Golden State or something like that. It's like, well, what, what they, are they signing you? But uh, I actually thought Jeffrey Savage at Afflicted Med had, had my favorite take on this. It's like a hot take, but I actually like it. I think it's, I think it's correct. and, and well, Not correct necessarily, but I think it's possible, and that's... Daniel House has a pretty good chance to actually provide more value to the Warriors than Boogie Cousins does. Because Boogie Cousins may not even play if he does come back late. I mean, you, know, you don't know how effective he's going to be. Daniel House can play. I like that guy a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think the Warriors you know, are learning from their mistakes of last year of having a million centers at the end of their bench. And uh, you know, when injuries hit, they, they didn't really have a lot that they could do. And it meant that the big guys had to play you know, the majority of the minutes. So House is that kind of break glass in case of emergency type guy at the end of the bench for the Warriors. And, and yeah, I think, as you say, it's a good point. Could provide some pretty meaningful minutes early on if uh, they get thin again at the wings. And just to be clear, I'm not saying he's better than Boogie Cousins. I'm not an insane person. I'm going to tweet that you said that straight after we finish recording. Thank God we don't have aggregators. <laughs> uh, just one last thing on House. Do you think this has anything to do with that him going off in Golden State towards the end of last season, throwing that dunk off the backboard? I think it always helps. You know, there's always stories of uh, guys playing well against certain coaches and those coaches going and getting them in, in you know, the next off season and things like that. I, I definitely don't think he did himself any harm there. I would like to think that it was probably more to do with his summer league play with the Rockets and things like that rather than the the uh, off-the-backboard move by House. But I'm sure it uh, raised their eyebrows a little bit at least. Steve Kerr is always looking for things to keep his team motivated. Maybe maybe off the backboard dunks is going to be it next year. Yeah, he didn't like he didn't like the Jordan Bell one though. Let's remember. No, no, he did. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was he was really not happy about that. I think that's it for news. So, David, how about you get into the uh, the retro segment before we move on to the main section? Will do, Max. Uh, with the departure of Jared Dudley last week, I thought it was only fair to dedicate this one uh, to him on this episode. So. Did you know Jared Dudley leads the entire 2007 NBA draft class in a single stat max? Any guesses what that might be? Ooh, interesting. The whole 20... Ah. Oh, man, I wish I knew this. I don't know. I'm just going to say steals, but it's probably not steals. He is the best three-point shooter out of the entire oh, 2007 class. 39.6%, and it beats out the likes of Aaron Aflalo, Kevin Durant and Mike Conley. Kevin Durant's career three-pointer is not above that, huh? Correct. Uh, Dudley was, of course, drafted by the Bobcats in 2007 with the number 22 overall pick, where he played a season and a half before being traded to the Phoenix Suns. So they were his first two teams, and Brooklyn is about to be his sixth. So, Max, I'm going to put you on the spot again here. 
Can you name the three in the middle? And for extra difficulty, can you name them in order? So, okay. Bobcat, son. He went to uh, the Clippers in that trade. We got Bledsoe in. Correct. He definitely went to the Bucks. Correct. Shoot, man. Is there really one in between the Bucks and Suns? I'm forgetting. I am mind blanking on this. I, I don't got it. What do you got? He had a fleeting moment with the Washington Wizards. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. Okay. Washington, in fact, are the only team he's made it out of without being traded. If you count the draft pick he was taken with, which was also traded in 2002 and 2004, before JMZ was drafted, Dudley has been involved in seven NBA trades. Back to his time with the Suns, though. As mentioned, Dudley came to the desert along with Jason Richardson in a trade for Rajah Bell, Boris Dior, and Sean Singletree. A trade that you recently, Max, called one of the best in Suns' recent history. Is that right? Well, I didn't realize we gave up Sean Singletree, so never mind. (laughs) It was in that first stint with the Suns that he probably played his best NBA basketball and perhaps had his best statistical season in the 2010-11 season that ended in 40-42 and for the Suns. He played all 82 games that year, averaged 10.6 points, 3.9 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and 1.1 steals per game. He also shot 41.5% from three and 47.7% from the field. That season also, Max, marks the last time I saw the Phoenix Suns in person. I went to a few games in in my time in Arizona, but the highlight was definitely a January 14 win over Portland and fellow Aussie Paddy Mills. I actually sat courtside that night, just two seats away from John McCain, of all people, and I stood in line for mac and cheese behind Robert Sava. And I watched Nash lead the Suns comeback with 23-13 for a 115-111 win over the Blazers. You hung out with a lot of rich guys that night. (laughs) I did. Uh, Of course, on that night, Dudley was the only player who stopped next to the tunnel after warming up and took a picture with me. Uh, And I wouldn't expect anything less from Dudley. But I also remember he heard my accent and he asked where I was from and took some time to chat with me as well. So that was cool of him. He uh, may not go down as one of the Suns' greats or anything like that, but he's definitely one of my faves, and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of the people listening to this pod. Finally, going back to his trade history in the league, Max, here are the highlights of the deals he was involved in. As I said before, Rajah Bell and Boris Dior went to Charlotte that first time. As you mentioned before, Bledsoe came to Phoenix in that second trade. Uh, The Clippers was a salary dump, which they had to attach a first to, which recently actually became OG Ananobi Max. Mm. Milwaukee traded a 2020 second rounder, and now ending with Phoenix again, we obviously got Darrell Arthur and Capspace. Capspace Max that was used to trade in Rashawn Holmes, who was drafted at 37 in which NBA draft? 2015. That, of course, is the first of four drafts we're about to jump right in right now and redraft for this episode. So, Max, it's over to you to run through the rules of our redraft. Thank you, David. Before I do that, I do just want to give out a shout-out to Jared Dudley because I absolutely love that dude. Uh, I, I, remember, I think I was the first person probably to... One of the first people to get a son's Jared Dudley jersey because I fell in love with him the season before we were good with him. 
And my girlfriend actually got a custom made Jared Dudley jersey for me because I just I talked about him so much. So love Jared Dudley. Gonna miss him. I hope he has great success with whatever he does. I agree. Okay, let's get into this exercise. So, like I said before, we're going to be drafting the last four NBA draft classes. So that's 2015 through 2018. The way we're going to do this is we're going to consider these guys with all the information that we have now. We're not going to consider them as prospects. So, for example, Devin Booker was not a highly regarded prospect, so he wouldn't even have made the top 30 on this list had we made it that way. But because he's shown so much in the NBA so far, he will be drafted very highly on this list. So we're considering everything, so that might hurt the 18 guys, but but it may, may or may not. We'll see about that. David, do you have anything else to add to that? There might be some other rules I'm missing. No, I think that's pretty much it. I think you make a good point. I think there's some advantages and some disadvantages as I kind of ran through my big board for this for the 2018 guys. You know, not having any NBA film kind of can help some guys and, and hurt others. Vice versa with the, you know, the other three draft classes. We've We've seen quite a bit of them and that can hurt when trying to project where 2018 guys fit uh, with the rest of them. I'd also just note there's obviously going to be a, a pretty wide variance in people's opinions on this, so it's a fun exercise for, for the long off-season, but happy for anyone to disagree with us and let us know. But I expect some differences, and, and there's definitely going to be some differences just between you and I as well. But one thing I'll definitely note with the uh, pre-draft 18 rankings and uh, going back to my little joke towards the ringer before is I personally didn't change any of my pre-2018 rankings when slotting these guys in. So I haven't changed any order based on, you know, four summer league games or anything like that. It's uh, it's just all about where you slot them in around those other three draft classes. I think I made a, a couple of various slight adjustments, but nothing major. Nothing, no, SGA is not going third. <laughs> One thing I did want to mention, though, a couple of rules I forgot. One, I don't think we're counting contracts here, but we are counting age. Yes. And the other thing is that we're drafting these guys in a vacuum. So, for example, if I draft Lonzo Ball, I, I, I can still draft, uh, you know, some point guard next. It's like, we're not building a team here. We're just saying who, would, who in a vacuum we'd like the most. Very good point. Cool. All right, let's get started. Do you have, do you have the coin flip to decide which one of us is going to get the top pick here? I have a coin with me, Max, so I will leave it to you to call heads or tails. Give me tails. All righty. is heads unfortunately for you which means i get the top pick i i, I don't think we have the same guy up top i haven't looked at your list but i'm i doubt we do so I'm, I'm really not that sad about this it's uh it's not a kareem coin flip is that what you're saying <laughs> that is what i'm saying yeah <laughs> all right well i'll kick us off uh it's probably no surprise based on something i said last episode but i am taking the number one pick from the 2016 draft none other than my fellow aussie ben simmons any thoughts max uh yeah i like ben simmons a lot he's third for me and the only reason why he's third is because i just i value shooting so freaking much that he it drops down a little bit but i mean third obviously is great and ben simmons is already a star and he's awesome and there's nothing wrong with taking him first yep I'm not going to uh, disagree with too much of that. Obviously, I am still taking him as a prospect and and expect him to to add a jump shot in the you know subsequent years of this fake career of his. So I'm comfortable taking him number one in, in this list for that reason. Yeah, I, I think it's a great pick, uh, and I I think it's going to be a more popular pick than my next pick, the number two pick, which is uh, would have been my number one pick, and which is probably going to be pretty controversial. Uh, I'm taking the third pick. In the 2017 draft, his name's Jason Tatum. 
Ooh, very interesting. What's your uh, what's your thought process there? First thing I want to point out is that uh, I, I was low on him and, and desperately did not want the Suns to get him. So this shows you how dumb I am. <laughs> uh, but the other, and, and the reason why is because I, he didn't show a lot of the skills that he automatic uh, immediately had in the NBA at Duke. And really, what he taught me to do, he actually, I learned a lot from him draft evaluation wise. And that's that you, you can't look at what a player is doing in college. You need to look at what a player can do, sort of, which can be a hard thing to to divine. But it's something that you mm-hmm. kind of have to do. Uh, and the thing about Jason Tatum is his rookie year, he was sort of good at everything. I mean, he was a pretty good defender. He was an elite shooter. He showed some on-ball, you know, creation equity. He wasn't the best playmaker for others, but I, I think that he showed some capacity in that area, and, and it can get better. Yep. And then the thing, the thing that makes him the most intriguing to me is that, especially for an exercise like this, where you're drafting a guy in a vacuum, Jason Tatum is like you could fit any team around that guy. He's a six foot nine wing who does everything. Like that, that's the perfect thing you want. And not only that, he was the second best player on a team that's already that was in the playoffs, that went to the Eastern Conference Finals Game Seven, and he was the best player in that Game Seven. So everything he showed, you can't really ask for a better rookie year out of a guy. So to me, Jason Tatum, he's the guy I take number one. I don't think it's like a it's by far over the other guys, but it's for me, it's it's, a, it's not a hard choice. Yeah, I think it's interesting to note that the first kind of little group here of you know maybe I don't know where you cut it off, but maybe the first you know four or five guys are are all pretty close. We're kind of splitting yes. hairs here a little bit, but uh, I think you make a good point. You know, if you're redrafting, you kind of want that NBA prototype and, and, you know, Jason Tatum is certainly that and didn't do himself any harm in his, you know, first season as an NBA player. So uh, I don't quite have him that high, but I don't a hundred percent disagree with your kind of justification there. I'll be interested to see where you have him because I think there's a clear top four. So if he's in your top four, I think we agree, but I think there's an actual clear like tier of four, but we'll see what you got. I won't give away my next couple of picks, but he is number four to clarify. So, and I, I generally agree with that kind of top tier that you're mentioning there. So I'll jump right in and I'll take, uh, what I think is the best big in this redraft, and that is Carl Anthony Towns at number three. He was the number one pick, of course, from the 2015 draft. Yeah, I have him number two overall on my board, so I'm obviously not, not going to complain that you took him there. Yeah, and I think with that, I'll just kind of put a little bit of a spotlight on my process going through this whole draft, which will hopefully frame the, the remainder of my picks. And that's that, you know, when you, you know, I kind of looked into a whole bunch of different stats with these guys but at the end of the day when you were kind of comparing one against another prospect it was essentially would I trade player x for player y right here right now and the answer was no when it came to say Ben Simmons but uh, the answer was yes for basically everybody that comes after Towns here Um, and you know what he's done so far in the three years of his career is pretty phenomenal for a big that you know generally takes a little bit longer to develop so uh, I'm pretty comfortable taking him at two on my board uh, and the way it kind of crumbles here with you and I alternating is that he's ultimately number three on our on our redraft. Yeah, it's just kind of the, the, what happens when we have differences of opinion. But one more thing on Carl Anthony Towns, I think that people kind of overlook is that he's he's being misused right now in Minnesota and he's still incredible. Like he's still exactly. putting up insane. It, he's I think he's on the path to being the second best big man shooter of all time behind behind Dirk. And who knows, maybe he could surpass him. But that's the trajectory he's on right now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I th- and that's why I think he's kind of you know I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But he's kind of primed for the picking for a team to you know throw 
a very enticing offer towards the Wolves if they, for whatever silly reason, decide to to trade him away because, yeah, I think he can be even better than what he currently is, which is certainly saying something. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because my number four pick overall is going to be actually my number four ranked player, and it's going to be Carl Anthony Towns' best friend, someone who I really hope he's traded to, Devin Booker. No surprises from me there. Uh, I had him one slot above, uh, so obviously, therefore, above Jason Tatum, which you know I'll probably be accused of being a little biased there. But you know, I think what you touched on with Tatum in terms of playmaking and things like that is why I have Booker slightly ahead of Tatum. Just kind of worried what else Tatum you know might bring to a winning team other than what he's done for now, which is totally unfair on him because he's only played one season. But again, when I put them both up against the wall, I'm, I'm more comfortable taking Booker at the moment. But uh, four seems a pretty pretty nice middle ground for, for someone like Booker. Any other thoughts on, on him? Yeah, well, I do think Devin Booker, to your point, sort of has the higher tail-end skills. Like, I think Devin Booker's crazy, like, shooting ability from deep, off off the catch, off range, off, off movement. Like, really, he has every sort of shooting versatility thing you need, which I think is probably a better skill than anything Jason Tatum has. Jason Tatum just has like everything. Like I don't, I don't know if there's a weakness to Jason Tatum, and he's and he's so young that it's kind of easy to project him to, to just get a lot better at a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. And and one thing that we should obviously note with Booker, which won't be a surprise to anyone listening, but does have some context when you look at some of these guys we might be drafting a little bit later, and that is that he was pick 13 in the 2015 draft, which is certainly an outlier with the rest of the guys that we are discussing in this kind of tier at the moment. Yeah, the Suns really, really, really found a gem there. Like That's something you can really build your team around when you get a guy like him that late. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention on Booker before I let you make your next pick is that we are going to have a podcast all about Devin Booker in the next month. So that's kind of why we're giving him a short shrift here because we're going to have a nice guest on and we're going to really break down Devin Booker. Yep. So I'll jump straight into pick five. I believe we're already up to Max. Yep. We're running through this very quickly, but pick five is oddly the number three pick from the most recent 2018 oh, draft. From me. That is Luca Dontich. So I'm interested to know, is this, I haven't quite tracked your big board at the moment, but is this where you had him as well? Yeah, that's why I got really angry. Uh, <laughs> I had him number five. And I, I, the reason why he's five for me, I, I love Luca Dontich so much, but I just can't put any prospect above people who have shown what the, the four guys above him have shown. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very clear line, I think, is what we kind of discussed before of these top four guys. Um, you know, we both love Doncic. Uh, I'm sure we'll both cop a little bit of heat for having him above DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I'll be interested to see where you have Ayton on your board uh, following this. But yeah, there's a very clear line for me. As much as I love Doncic, you take the productivity of the first four guys over him right here, right now. Um, but I'm very excited to see him play in the NBA and you know maybe start to, to climb up that list very quickly uh, if he can start hot. Yeah, my only thing I'll say about Luka Doncic before I go into my pick is that I, I, for some reason he gets this label as like not having high upside, which I, I don't get it at all because if he makes even a small incremental athleticism jump, he's going to be a six foot eight playmaking wing. Like you can't have a better you know archetype than that. And with his his natural you know. Uh, vision, passing ability, shooting mechanics. He has the ability to be the best offensive player in the entire NBA. And as Cole said, he has the possibility to be the best player in the NBA. So I, I don't really get the low upside critique. 
Yep, your turn at number six. I'm taking Jaron Jackson Jr., the Ringers' number one overall pick. Ooh, interesting, interesting. Okay, uh, give us a little snapshot into Jaron. So, I mean, I I love Jaron Jackson Jr. I've loved him since the first time I watched him play at Michigan State. So it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who's you know listened to me or followed me on Twitter that I'm picking him. Uh, I think he's got Defensive Player of the Year upside pretty clearly. I don't think mm-hmm. anything he did in Summer League dissuaded me from that because he was absolutely awesome in Summer League. Yep. Didn't he have separate games of eight threes and then a different game where he had seven blocks? He certainly did. How many players in the league right now could do something like that? Uh, I wouldn't be able to count them uh, on more than one hand, that's for sure. The only guy that someone brought up to me, which maybe, uh, is Chris Porzingis, who we'll get to soon enough, but even him, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was the first guy that came to, to my mind, and, and, and even then it's probably a little bit of a stretch. Yep, I agree. All right, we got number seven. Seven is an interesting one, uh, and again, we touched on this guy before, so it'll be interesting to see your thoughts. Even though I had Luka Dontich above this guy, I've had them very much tied together the whole time, and therefore the number seven pick is the number one pick in the 2018 draft. Our guy, the big fella, DeAndre Ayton. Hey, some sons love. I have DeAndre Ayton nine, so I'm not that much lower on him than you are. Okay. The guys I have above him, I think, are special. So this is not an indictment of DeAndre Ayton at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, the thing about Ayton, and I've always viewed him as more of a high risk, high reward kind of guy, and that's just what scares me about him. Is I, I do think there's a chance that he's not going to be, you know, a star. Yeah, and I think until he plays an NBA game or two, we won't really be able to to say much about that. But again, I would just touch on what we did with Dontich. Clear line there. Uh, where you wouldn't take, you know, even though he is a number one pick in a draft, you wouldn't take any of those guys um, that we've previously mentioned before him, maybe other than Luca, depending on how high or low you are on both of those guys. But um, I think it's encouraging to to say when you look at this list, and you know, I can pretty comfortably say that I would take him over everyone that I'm going to mention afterwards. So, you know, that's that's pretty high. It's it's seven on a on a redraft, but that's of four classes together of you know, some pretty incredible players already. So definitely no no shade here with Aiton being at, at number seven in this draft. No, the, sh- the shade is, is going towards a certain player who plays for the Utah Jazz, who I'm not even taking next. And if there's any Utah fans listening now, they're, they're going to they're gonna stop listening when I mention my next pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll jump in. The number eight pick, I believe, we're up to. Uh, yeah, we're on the number eight pick, and I'm taking Lonzo Ball. Wow. Here's the thing about Lonzo. My concerns about him going into the NBA were that he wasn't going to be able to play defense and that he wasn't going to be able to shoot. One of those concerns absolutely came to fruition. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah, but the other one was exactly the opposite. He was an incredible defender. He did everything besides score the ball incredibly well. Yeah, I was I was very low on how his defense was going to translate as well, and um, I guess like you touched on before, makes me look you know pretty silly right now. Uh, I was more confident in his shooting translating actually, which kind of doubles down on that theory almost. Yeah, it is weird. I was the same way. And just to just to defend my choice of Lonzo Ball over whom I assume you're going to take next and whom I, I imagine a bunch of people are mad at us for not taking already. I, I value so much what I think Lonzo Ball can do for a winning team because I don't think he needs the ball in his hands. I think he can just he just plays awesome defense. He can be a secondary playmaker. He can, he can just do so many things. I kind of describe him as being like the, the guard version of, of uh, Draymond Green. Yep. I, I just think that like, if you're just building a team out of, out of thin cloth, 
it's you know that guy's going to help you. You know you don't have the wrong initiator because he doesn't have to be your initiator. So I value that over sometimes a more maybe like all-star production-wise kind of guy who I think you're probably going to take next and who people are probably mad at me about. Don't be so sure, Max. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll just say on Lonzo, I had him a little bit lower than you um, because I'm just, uh, you know, I'm pretty worried about that shooting. You know, I think we'll see an improvement, but it's starting from a pretty low bar from his rookie season. And the small knee procedure isn't just a small knee procedure for many guards. Um, you know, Eric Bledsoe is the prime example of how that can keep reoccurring. So uh, I am a little lower on Lonzo after starting from a pretty high spot with him. So that would be all I'd have to say on him. However, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit and draft at number nine, the fourth pick in the 2015 draft, Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Okay, okay, explain. I really like Chris Stapp's. Uh, he'd probably be even higher if it wasn't for the current ACL injury. I just couldn't justify him falling any lower than this for, for mine anyway. Uh, there is another guy who you've obviously teased a little bit that's probably going to come next now, I would imagine. But uh, again, using the up-against-the-wall method, uh, I'd still go for the upside of a guy like Chris Stapps over anyone else after in this draft. So yeah, I'm pretty comfortable despite the knee injury uh, taking a guy with, with that much you know star power uh, this low in the redraft. Yeah, for me, so Chris Ops is 12th for me, which, I mean, it's, it seems low, but it's really not low with how, how good these players are. Um, yeah. My problem is just that, like, even before the ACL, I was already worried about him. He's just not a normally built human being. He just doesn't look like someone who's going to stay healthy. Uh, yeah. But if he does, I mean, he's going to be, he could be the best player in this whole damn list because he can protect the rim and he can shoot. I, I mean, that guy, he's a freak. Yeah, I guess like we touched on with, with Jaron before, like, you know, mentioning Chris Stapps in that conversation, you know, maybe not quite with the volume that Jaron did in those couple of summer league games, but he is that, you know, unicorn, what that term is built for. He is that type of player that can really fit the modern NBA. Uh, yeah, and he's, and, he's, uh, and he's much more offensively talented than Jaron Jackson is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I like that pick. It's just I'm I just too nervous. That's why I'm a risk averse human being. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay. So it's time we have to do it. <laughs> Here's the thing about Donovan Mitchell, and I, I know people are going to think this is because of you know the whole Twitter fights. It's not that. I think Donovan Mitchell is really, 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 really good. Obviously, he is. He's awesome. But his rookie year was. I'm just. I'm sorry. It was overrated. It just was. He was only semi efficient. He, he's his three-point shooter. I think he shot 34% for three. It was fine. It wasn't excellent. His finishing around the rim was pretty damn good, but he never, not never, sorry, he, he didn't get to the line very much. He, he doesn't draw contact because he has those crazy length finishes, which is great, but if you're not getting to the line, that, that's a significant problem. Yeah, I agree. This appears to be the uh, second, no, the third, I should say, player that we have in the exact same spot on our big boards. Uh, I believe we both had Carl Anthony Towns at two, Luka Doncic at five, and now Mitchell at eight. Okay. Obviously, with the way we've both drafted, it means that, quite ironically, he actually falls to 10 in our redraft. But, you know, I think that's still around about where he deserves to be. We, we will get some hate if there are any Jazz fans listening. I'm sure there's not. So, yeah, I think when you compare him to a guy like Booker and, and the guys that we've mentioned above, there's still some slight concerns there. We should definitely note, though, like with Booker, he was the 13th pick in his 2017 draft. So the Jazz have definitely hit a 
a beauty there, but there's definitely some concerns and, and we don't want to overhype just one season just yet. Um, it's a, a bit of a watch this space one with Donovan, I think. I agree. And I also think there are some people who are automatically assuming he's going to be like a, a lead primary initiator, but I don't know why I see. So I see the same people assuming that who say that Booker can't pass. And if you watch their seasons last year, or even look at their stats, that's just, you know, woefully wrong. Booker was a better playmaker than Donovan Mitchell was last year with worse teammates. Yeah, and I think it just shows how much people value winning um, because I think the same conversations had about guys like Booker and Mitchell, but they go in completely different directions. And as you've said, it's, it's not entirely fair, I don't think. So, you know, what we're doing with Mitchell with just one season in the bank and kind of projecting that all these things are going to happen for him for the rest of his career is kind of the opposite of what people tend to do with Booker with kind of three seasons now in the bank of being a pretty effective offensive NBA player. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see that kind of Twitter rivalry continue and and hopefully as the Suns start to win more games, the, the conversation might shift a little bit towards, you know, our Suns corner, let's say. And uh, yeah, I, I hope so. Just one last one last point that I have to make is yep. Just give yourself a thought experiment. Switch Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker last year teams, and just think about what it would look like. I, I just think it would be. It's just interesting to me. Anyway, your pick. Uh, we're up to number eleven in the redraft, Max, and I am taking the third pick in the 2016 draft, and that is Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics. Ooh, I like it. I stopped short of putting him ahead of Donovan Mitchell in my uh, in my list because, you know, I do really like Mitchell as a player. I loved him as a prospect as well, so there's definitely no hate from me uh, coming, to, coming to Mitchell because of that rivalry with Booker. But, you know, Jalen Brown, again, is that prototypical NBA wing um, I think he's shown a lot of two-way potential on the Celtics. And uh, I think when you're assessing him and Tatum and, and looking at stats, you kind of have to take into account, you know, the team that they play on and, and the role that they're contributing for a very successful playoff team, one that kind of everyone expects to maybe go to the finals next year. So the counting stats may not add up quite as well to guys like Donovan Mitchell and, and things when you look at points per game and stuff. But, you know, watching a guy like Jalen Brown, you can just see that he kind of oozes potential and probably even more importantly has convinced me of a few things that I was worried about as a draft prospect in terms of his kind of offensive game and, you know, how that might translate in the NBA. So, yeah, I'm pretty high on a guy like Jalen. Yeah, I have him 11, so I'm not far behind you. Uh, and just kind of to add on to your point, uh, something that's nice about a guy like Jalen Brown, and, and also one of the reasons I mentioned why I took Jason Tatum, is that it's very, very, very easy to build around a guy like that because it's just a wing who can shoot. And that's just, it's very, I mean, that's like what you want around your teams, you know? Exactly. Uh, and also, to kind of compare that to a guy like Donovan Mitchell, like I think that I have Donovan Mitchell ahead of Jalen Brown by three spots. I think Donovan Mitchell will be better than Jalen Brown, but if Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brown both just become like, you know, solid starters, but not super duper stars, Jalen mm-hmm. Brown will be more useful just by virtue of the position he plays. Yeah, I agree with that. Which brings us, I believe, to the 12th pick, Max. All right, I'm, I get my 10th overall prospect at number 12. I got Trey Young here. Very nice. You must be happy with, uh, with that. I'm very happy with this. He had a bit of a controversial summer league. Uh, I don't know why. I, oh, cause I do know why, because he was awful in Utah. But once he got to Vegas, I thought he was pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it's um, 
you know, one of those cases where getting those cobwebs out early in the uh, lesser summer league without as many eyes was um, definitely an advantage to Trey because he looked a more comfortable player when he got to Vegas. Yeah, exactly. And we don't have to like really dig into him deeply because last week we talked about him uh, quite a bit with Cole. We did. Quickly sum up what I said, what we talked about with Cole was that if Trey hits his, his upside, with he could be a game breaker just because of his shooting ability and his vision. Like He could be one of those guys that you just build your entire team around because his offense is that good. David, who you got? Number 13. 13, I have uh, a guy that I had just behind Jalen Brown on my list, and, and for many of the same reasons, even though the productivity is probably even less, so you're looking still more at potential here, I have the number two pick in the 2016 draft, Brandon Ingram. Ooh, I have him at 19, so that's a big jump. Ooh, that's one that we definitely differ on. Definitely willing to note, as I just touched on, that he, he hasn't done a lot... Uh, productivity-wise in the NBA to, to suggest maybe being taken this high, but we are still talking about some pretty raw guys here and, and some pretty young guys. I'm very much going with potential here. There's kind of another line in my big board here where I start to take guys based on what they might still be able to do in the NBA versus you know a couple of guys who were either recently drafted uh, or that have shown enough of what I think they're going to do in the NBA, whereas I think Ingram still has some room to grow. So, And, you know, rightly or wrongly here, I, I really start to look at, you know, NBA circles and, ha- and how people think of guys like Brandon Ingram and, and how front offices view Brandon Ingram. I think they've been, you know, the Lakers have been very adamant about not moving Brandon Ingram. And uh, this was a point that came up on Twitter in a completely separate conversation last week about... Really, as amateur talent evaluators as we are, you know, we only get half of the picture, or, or maybe not even half. Um, the front offices and, and real draft guys are, are definitely getting to see these guys compete every day in camps and in, in practice workouts rather than just on the NBA floor. So uh, I'm still in on Ingram's potential, partly because of how I rated him as a draft prospect and also partly because of uh, how his own team seems to rate him. Yeah, I think that last point you made is a very, very good one. I actually, when I, when I did my final big board for this draft, I, I included Lonnie Walker, Kevin Knox, and I think Colin Sexton in like a, in a, in like a my final tier saying, guys I don't like, but other people like, so I refuse to not rank them because other people like them, and I'm not smart enough to think that I don't know everything, you know? Yeah, I think it's something that you have to be wary of because, you know, particularly guys like us just can't know the full picture, so you've kind of got to use little clues, and I've always liked to use the little clues that front offices, you know, drop in, in other areas of what we try and predict sometimes too. So I'm definitely a firm believer in that. So I'm going to go kind of the opposite. Same draft, later pick, number seven overall pick. He's shown more, but probably has less upside. And, and that's Jamal Murray. Yeah. Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray, I, I just, I value shooting so much. And I think Jamal Murray has that kind of potential to be a game-breaking shooter. He's also got some more athleticism than you think. He's, he has the potential to develop into a really, really good offensive player. Defense is a bit of a question mark. He's, he's almost sort of like a Devin Booker light. He is, and he's a, he's a perfect team for, uh, perfect fit, I should say, for that kind of team that they're building in Denver because he can be a lead guard with how much passing they have at other positions. Yeah, that's a great point. The defense, not so much, maybe, but who knows what Denver well, are going to do. I like. would say he fits in well with the rest of them and the fact that they don't play any defense. like He, he does that well. Exactly. All right, what do you got next? Yeah, I'll just note on Jamal Murray that I um I had Lonzo Ball sandwiched in between Ingram and Murray on my big board, uh, and I took Murray just before Trey Young, um, probably 
on what you touched on just of what he's done so far in the NBA versus I guess question marks on what Trey Young might be able to do so that's kind of where my evaluation at, at this point in the draft has has come in but my next pick is the number 15th pick in the redraft uh, and the number six pick in the 2018 class and that is Mohammed Bamba okay I like Bamba I have him the next spot behind a guy who I'm going to take after you but explain Bamba real quick anyone who's taken any notice of my kind of draft evaluation or um, any talk that I had about the 2018 draft before it happened I was very high on Bamba um, and that's kind of where he slots in in this redraft I'm, I'm a firm believer in his you know ceiling in the NBA being very unique uh, probably kind of like we discussed with Kristaps Porzingis I think he has the potential I should say to become one of those uh, five out guys on offense um, at, at incredible size uh, and a really kind of elite defensive rim protector. So uh, I'm kind of banking on that potential here, given that he hasn't played an NBA game yet. Yeah, fair enough. I, I don't think Bomb has shown us anything in summer league or like a reason to drop him. I think he was fairly impressive. He wasn't like standout, but he was good. Uh, I like Bomba. Like I said, I had him next. And this next guy who I'm going to take, I actually had him behind Bomba in the pre-jab process. This is one of the few adjustments that I made. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and it's just Wendell Carter Jr. I just thought he was so impressive in summer league. Like he's he was enough to raise a spot or two for me. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, you know, we've joked about making kind of harsh, quick decisions based on four summer league games, but I think one thing I've noticed you've said in the past in relation to summer league is that there are things to be got from those few games and that small sample size. And uh, if you had queries around someone like Wendell Carter, he definitely showed that he can do a few things and, and would justify, you know, maybe switching him a position with Bumba, but nothing too drastic. Yeah, well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the things you're trying to do is figure out what a guy can do in the NBA from college, not what he's doing in college. So I think the most valuable thing you can see in summer league is what a guy looks like when he's not in whatever ecosystem he's in. Uh, so I'm looking at my big board here. We're up to number 17 in the draft. This was a really interesting exercise for me, talking about Bamba and Carter, who I had in that order on my big board as well, followed by this guy who's been in the NBA for three seasons now, has shown a lot of what we'd expect Bumber and Carter to do, but um, had a, probably a disappointing season last season, but I'm still a, a firm believer in him being uh, a big contributor in the NBA, and that is the number 11 pick in the 2015 draft, Miles Turner. Whoa! I have him number 32. <laughs> wow, that's probably going to be the biggest gulf that we find between our big boards, I would imagine. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, as I said, I'm I'm banking on the potential of Bumba and Carter versus what Turner's already shown. Definitely happy to admit that he had a down year uh, this past season with the Pacers, but I think you know their projection and what they did this year uh, was a big reason for that. Um, they were kind of a big playoff contender who didn't you know put heavy minutes or heavy reps into Turner in in certain situations that he's not comfortable with. But uh, probably another case of a guy that I was really high on. Uh, around his draft and definitely after his rookie season. So I'm still banking on uh, a little bit of uh, potential there and, and projecting out that he might turn it around this this next year. Definitely happy to admit that it's it's quite high when you look at some of the guys that are going to come after, though. Yeah, I don't hate Miles Turner or anything. He, he can shoot and he can protect the rim a little bit, which is valuable skills. I just kind of feel like, and maybe I'm wrong with this, maybe he'll make it look stupid, but I kind of feel like he showed this year the upside might not quite be there. That's fair. One to probably come back to in, in 12 months' time, maybe. 
Yeah, maybe, we'll maybe do this again in a year. That'd be fun. <laughs> uh, my next one's going to be Jonathan Isaac, the number six pick in the 17 draft. Yep. I think because he was injured and sort of anonymous playing on that awful Orlando team, his season was actually a little underrated. He was actually a really good defender last season. I think that there's almost no doubt he's going to be a good defender going forward. The question with him is obviously going to be the offense. It's going to be, you know, is, is he going to be able to do anything besides shoot open threes? And is he even going to be able to do that? Because he has to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, but the defense, is it's there. I think he's going to be switchable. He's going to be able to protect the rim to an extent. I, I think he's going to be a monster on that. And it's just going to be the, the question with him is just, can he bring the value on the offensive end? Yeah, I have him at 22 on my big board, and that's just because I'm not a massive believer in Isaac. It's obviously, as you've noted, it's a lot on potential at the moment. There's still definitely a lot there to work with, but personally, I'm just not that high on Isaac actually translating it and and becoming a a really effective NBA player. So, um, yeah, I'm not banking on as much there with him, but there's definitely a lot there to work with for sure. Fair enough. Who you got next? Might be another surprise for you here. I'm not too sure where you might have this guy, Max. But 19, I am taking the number seven pick from the 2017 draft, Laurie Markkinen. A little bit of a surprise. I had him 26, but I don't think you're crazy. Explain. Okay. Uh, at this point of my big board, Max, I'm, I'm kind of looking for guys that have proven something already or that have, uh, you know, from the 2018 class, have a, a really solid projection to do something really well in the NBA and... You know, I just don't think there's any doubting that Laurie in his rookie season proved that he has an NBA-ready skill, and that's as a shooter. He was very effective in that role at, at pretty high volume for a rookie too. So, you know, something around 37% or something, I think he shot from three last year on a pretty god-awful team too. So I really like his fit with Wendell Carter for the Bulls. And, you know, he probably showed in his rookie season that he can do a few other things too. I think he was, you know, he wasn't awful on defense from what I saw. And, you know, he can put the ball on the floor a little bit too, which uh, if he proves to be a really effective NBA uh, three-point shooter, he's going to need to be able to do when uh, teams try and attack him on closeouts and things. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going with a a really solid NBA skill for Laurie with, with, you know, potential to build around that too. Yeah, I don't disagree with a single thing that you said. I just, for me with Laurie, who I, who I like a lot, but I just don't really see him... I guess being like a superstar, I think there's like no chance of that. I guess I, maybe that's unfair. It's just it's just kind of my evaluation of him. I I don't know what superstar Larry Markman looks like. So kind of without that upside, he falls a bit for me. I guess. Yeah, that's probably just I guess a difference in how we've looked at this exercise. I suppose um, I kind of looked at it as even though it is four draft classes bunched together, you know, generally around you know, 18, 19 in, in a single draft, you're really looking for solid starters or solid role players for your team and, and something you can bank on. And that's definitely what I see in Laurie. Yeah, I'm trying to balance it, I guess. Uh, but maybe I'm doing the balancing wrong. <laughs> I don't know. No, but you're not. There's so much talent still left out of these classes. So uh, yeah, you know, when is. you jam four classes together, you, you're probably not making an incorrect decision by still banking on trying to pick a star here. No, a lot of it's just going to come down to your own personal opinion, and I'm, I'm interested to see what you think about my next pick and why you think you have why you have Larry over him. And that's John Collins. He was the number 19 pick in, in last year's draft. Yep. It's for him. Summer league did matter for me. I actually think sometimes summer league can matter more for second year players than for first year players. Mm-hmm. I was just so impressed by the shooting. I was like, holy shit! If that guy can shoot that way, he his his upside just flies through the roof. I mean. He's already an incredible energy offensive rebounder guy. He's as crazy athleticism. He dunks on people. You know, he's going to be. Very, he's very comparable to Marvin Bagley in that way. Uh, mm-hmm. But 
the shooting for me is what really elevated him. I think he's a lot higher on this list than he would have been before Summer League. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he definitely has more strings to his bow than someone like Laurie, but just not quite as good at any of them as what Laurie already is as a, an NBA three-point shooter. So another one that in 12 months could look really silly from my perspective with, with John Collins looking like a, a much more effective uh, NBA player than, say, a Markinen, but it would really bank on at least one of those things that he's kind of showing flashes of really translating to the NBA and then, you know, maybe one or two others being worked on still. Yeah, sometimes I tend to fall in love with like my conception of what a player will be in three years rather than what he actually is right now. Probably yeah. to my detriment. All right, what's your next one? So, Max, we're at uh, pick 21 here and, um, you know, pretty deep in the podcast. So I think we should, you know, maybe just alternate the next uh, few picks and, and maybe have a discussion after five or so. What do you think? Yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. All right, well, I'll jump straight in. I'm going to take a guy who went number nine in the 2017 draft. Uh, so with pick 21, I'm taking Dennis Smith Jr. Okay, I had him 28th. I'm not as big of a fan as you are, but I don't. I understand it. I'm going to go with Marvin Bagley the third, the number two overall pick last. Yep, I, I have him in my big board, but a, a little bit lower. Uh, so number 23, that leaves me with. I'm going to take... OG Ananobi, who was quite low in the last draft, but has shown quite a lot. He was the number 23 pick, actually, maybe due to some health concerns. But uh, yeah, I've got him at 23 in our redraft. And I think the reason why I'm taking my next guy over him is because I just like the shooting a little bit more and value shooting more than defense. And that's our very own Mikel Bridges. I was wondering when he was going to pop up. Um, so that's 24 in our redraft to recap for people listening. Takes us to 25. I am going to take... SGA from the Ooh, last draft I like class. You liked him before the summer league. He was great in summer league, but you liked yeah, him before that. And I have him just above Mikhail in my big board here, which which is very much a reflection of where I had them ranked pre the 2018 draft. And I guess just to round that out, they're the last two guys from the 2018 draft. I kind of cut it off there for guys that I um, had in the equation for this redraft. Real quick, now that we got through like five of those. Yep. I just want to defend Bagley, and I want to hear your take on this. So the, one of the reasons why I have Bagley a little higher, I think, than you do is because I'm thinking that this exercise is being, like, you know, team neutral, so he's not on Sacramento. <laughs> I think it really does suck for him that he ended up there. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I've probably put a little bit of a projection into how things are going to look on the Kings next year with where I've rated him. I did slot him in at 23 on my big board, so I didn't... Uh, totally rule him out, but he was a guy that I was very uh, reluctant to have too high in the in my pre-draft predictions um, for Bagley. So he's kind of again slotted in on my big board just above SGA and Mikhail for that reason. Um, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not overly high on uh, his role in the NBA. Just I've got some real concerns, Max, around like what position he's going to play and where he's going to be effective and and how you then build an effective winning team around that. That's probably my main concern with Bagley. Oh, they're, they're, those are all very valid concerns. There's a lot to be concerned about with him. But for me, it's just kind of that tail end upside. I, I just can't get over. Like, I just think if for somehow that guy develops like a crazy handle and a shot off the dribble, like he could be really freakish. Yeah. So we, we're at, what are we at, number 26 now? We are at 26 and your pick. Okay, I'm going to go with, this is a tough one. This is close. I think, uh, I'm going to go with Josh. I'm going to take Josh Jackson here. Interesting. I, I'm I so I think Suns fans are going to be kind of mad at us for for where we have Josh Jackson in this draft. Yep. But I just it, 
there's some things about him that make me nervous. Like, if he doesn't develop the shot, I think it's going to be really hard for him to kind of open up the rest of his offensive game. And also for a guy who's supposed to be a defensive player, he was really bad on defense last year. So I, I need to see a lot out of him this year. I'm a little nervous about him. I kind of agree with a lot of that sentiment. We kind of had him pretty similar positions um, in terms of getting mad. I, I think I had him even a, a little lower. So if anyone wants to, to get mad at either of us, it should probably be me. But At David. <laughs> uh, that brings me to the 27th pick and... Another guy that a lot of people should be low on, but um, as a former number one pick, you kind of have to squeeze into a, a redraft here. I'm going Markel Fultz. That's a good pick. I had him 23 overall, just behind Josh Jackson, 22. So some of this is just the way this is going. Yep. So 28? I got Miles Bridges, who I debated over Josh Jackson, but I just think there's a little less upside there. Yeah. I, I'm not, you know, I've never been too high on Miles. Uh, also, didn't study him. I think we've touched on this before in the pod of like, you know, just with the Suns' picks, I, I didn't actually study either of the bridges all that much pre-draft. So for me, and, a lot of it comes down to Miles' position. Like, he's a super valuable position. If he if he works out there, he's be really valuable. Yep. Uh, I'm going to sneak in at 29 a guy that was actually taken at 40 in his draft in 2015. Uh, a real great story here for a team that that doesn't really value draft picks, and that's Josh Richardson. That's a great pick. That's someone who you know is going to be good on defense. Like that's a, that's definitely not an upside pick. That's a solid. He's going to contribute pick. Yeah, exactly. Which uh, brings us to our last pick, Max. So uh, you get the uh, honor of of squeezing one last guy into this redraft. Oh, this is this is a brain versus heart sort of thing because my brain says Frank Nilakina because I know he's going to be a good defender, but I just I can't. My heart says De'Aaron Fox. I just love De'Aaron Fox. He didn't have the greatest rookie year, but he had some moments. He had some really that. He had some clutch shots. I think he had like three or four game winners or game tying shots. And just I still I believe in that kid. He's just he's such a good kid. He's such a hard worker. He has elite quickness. I think he'll figure the jump shot out. I think he'll be good. Yeah, I had a few others over him, um, but yeah, I think it's for the number 30th pick, I think it's it's worthwhile doing. So uh, that rounds it out, Max. Um, so I'll give it I'll give a quick recap. We've kind of gone through that quickly. So uh, just to run it through for for all the listeners from from start to finish, we uh, we had Ben Simmons at the top at number one, Jason Tatum at number two, Carl Towns at three, Devin Booker at four, followed by Dontich at five. Jackson at 6, our guy DeAndre Ayton at 7, then a couple of existing guys, Lonzo Ball at 8, Porzingis at 9, Donovan Mitchell at 10, Jalen Brown at 11, Trey Young at 12, Brandon Ingram at 13, Jamal Murray at 14, Muhammad Bumber at 15, Carter at 16, Turner at 17, Jonathan Isaac at 18, Laurie Markin at 19, and John Collins at 20. Uh, Then we quickly ran through the last 10 names there, so I'll just mention those guys again, starting with Dennis Smith Jr. at 21, followed by Bagley, Ananobi, Mikhail Bridges, SGA, Josh Jackson, uh, 26 for Suns fans, Markel Fultz, Miles Bridges, Josh Richardson, and rounding it out, De'Aaron Fox at number 30 in our redraft. I just can't believe I didn't get Luka Doncic somehow. <laughs> so yeah, mad about that. He's with me. He's with me. I got him and Aiton. I got the uh, the ultimate package for Suns fans. Be- yeah, that's pretty before fun. Before the draft, yeah. Oh, I got I got Booker and Mitchell, so I can unite the uh, the Twitter thing. Very nice. Uh, I've been taking some notes as we've been running through as well, Max. So I'll just touch on those really quickly. Uh, there are four Phoenix guys in this top 30. 
Um, I don't think you can argue that none of them really deserve to be in there either, to be perfectly honest. Maybe some might argue Josh Jackson, but uh, four guys, and, and that's two more than any other team, uh, which, you know, what we were trying to do with this exercise following on from our previous episode is show that, you know, the future's bright for the Suns. There might be some tough lean years, but, you know, Atlanta had two, Boston had two, Chicago had two, uh, Dallas, the Lakers, Orlando, Philly, and Sacramento all had two guys in there. So, you know, touching on a lot of those teams were in that, you know, bottom tier that we discussed with Cole last episode of, uh, you know, the next batch of teams that might rise up to the top. So we've definitely got a chance with the Phoenix guys there. Yeah, and to, and to Cole's point last episode, uh, what really matters is quality, not quantity. So it's nice that we have four of these guys, but what's going to matter is whether or not Devin Booker or Aiden can in two years be at the top of this list, not at four and whatever. That's a very good point. Uh, it's looking like the 2017 draft just edged out the 2018 draft with 11 guys over 18 with 10. Uh, 15 had five guys and, and 2016 only had four. Uh, the lowest picked was Josh Richardson, as I mentioned before, was uh, pick 40 in the 2015 draft. And the highest guy not picked who I thought about trying to squeeze in there, which we'll jump into now. So the highest guy not picked was D'Angelo Russell. Um, mm. Some guys that I had just outside or, or just inside my big board, actually, that fell out when we did the redraft. I had uh, Torian Prince, uh, Frank Nidalekino, as you mentioned, Dejounte Murray, and Kuzma as well, I had. Who who else did you have just outside, Max? Uh, so I actually had, like you said, Nidalekino inside. I had him 29th overall. Yep. Um, and then I'll just run through. Josh Hart I had up there. I thought he, I think he's been really impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Torian Prince, Kelly Oubre, Fred Van Vliet, DeMontis Sabonis, Pascal Siakam, and as you mentioned, Jante Murray. Yeah, interesting. So um, that rounds out the exercise, Max. That was that was pretty fun. Yeah, that was fun. I, that went uh, that went pretty smoothly, I thought. That was that was fun. I, maybe people on Twitter are going to scream at us because they didn't like the way we picked it, but I thought it went okay. As I said, there's going to be a lot of different opinions on this, but um, the end goal was to kind of look at the Suns. We are a Suns podcast after all, and you know, there's, there's definitely guys... Uh, combining those four drafts that should be up there based on where they were picked. But, you know, there's a couple of surprises as well. Devin Booker, obviously, being number one from, you know, how low he was picked in his draft. Yep. And one thing I'll just ask before before you yell at us, just try this exercise yourself. It's not an easy thing to rank these guys. It really isn't. Exactly. Yeah, definitely uh, try before you yeah, add us. Definitely, Max. Let's throw this to seven seconds or less. This is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has not prepared and only has seven seconds to respond. David, it's your turn this week to ask me questions. It is, and I had some fun with this. Obviously, Suns themed uh, and looking at what we just discussed. So first question, I'll dive right in. Which Suns move from the last four draft is the biggest mistake in your opinion? And I'll, I'll give you your options here so you don't have to rack your brain. You've got uh, picking Booker in 15, uh, picking Bender in 16, the Chris trade, picking Chris then at number eight in the 2016 draft, Josh Jackson in the 2017 draft, in the 18 draft, you could also choose between taking DeAndre Ayton or the Bridges trade. Just taking Devin Booker. I just don't get the logic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's for me, it's the Chris trade. It just 
it, it was fine in the moment. I was high on Chris, but I mean, if you're looking in hindsight, it was the biggest mistake, I think, pretty clearly. Interesting. I, I wondered whether you were going to say Aiton there just because of your Dontich love, but... Uh... No, I understand the Aiton thing. He has the upside. I get it. I'm not going to call something a mistake that had, we, have, we have no returns on yet. <laughs> All right. Well, well, question two, and this is an interesting one with the Chris trade to, to give you options here. So uh, if I gave you a do-over... On the, on the biggest mistake, so you've said it is the Chris trade, what would you do instead? So you've kind of got two paths here, Max. You can either still do the trade and, and pick somebody else at number eight, or you can hold Pat and, uh, I guess, hold your draft picks at, at 13 and 28, I believe, plus keep Bogdanovich as well. So... Which which path are you going to take there? Oh God, I I don't think I'd make the trade because like let's just look at this list. Jamal Murray went seventh. There's just no one that I would want. Uh, I, so I guess I stand pat, and I can't even take Torian Prince. He was twelfth. Shit, I, I don't even know what the hell I would do to be honest with you. Yeah, there's not much there to choose from, which I guess justifies maybe why the Suns were happy to make the trade. But I guess without even picking guys, you've still held on to Bogdanovich, which uh, would be an interesting one for the Suns. Yeah, now. it's probably more valuable than anything else they could have gotten in that draft. Exactly. Uh, do you want to throw maybe one name out for either the 13th pick or the or the 28th pick there? Yeah, I... Uh, I was just going to say, DeJounte Murray, is a, if he learns how to shoot, he could be a pretty nice uh, partner with Booker in the backcourt with his defense. Yep, I think uh, Bogdan and Murray together uh, cancelling that trade out would, would probably be a better move for the Suns uh, in hindsight. Yep. All right, that takes us to our last question and a, a quick one to finish. It's 2020 max and the Suns are in the playoffs. I'm going to ask you how many Suns first round picks from the last four drafts on the roster and I'll set the over under at three and a half so we're assuming they're in the playoffs they're in the playoffs so they may have traded a couple away for for new pieces or stuff to get them there so who are you very confident at the end of the day is is going to be on the next playoff team for the Suns out of Booker Bender Chris Bridges Aiton and Josh Jackson the only one who I'll say that I'm really confident in like very very confident is Devin Booker the next level of confidence would be Aiton, and then a whole other level down would be Bridges, and then another level down would be Josh and, and Bender. So I guess I would, it was over under three and a half, right? I guess I'll take the under. Yep, sounds like you're taking the under there. So uh, I'll put that one in the vault and, and come back to it if we're still doing this pod in a few years' time. Yeah, that'd be a fun one to look back on. A lot of these will be fun to look back on. This entire episode will be fun to look back on. Very true. Well, cool. Thank you so much, David. Uh, I think that's it for us. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Please rate review and subscribe seriously if you, if you can just give us a review it really help that that really boosts people up the itunes writing so we we would really appreciate that uh if you want to give me a follow i'm at max mcc 11 on twitter david is at the four point play on twitter and our podcast at seven sol pod on twitter david thank you so much thanks so much max that was a lot of fun it was fun until next time guys